Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, I want to extend my gratitude as well to all of the veterans in the house and those watching online. Um, thank you for defending our freedoms that we get to enjoy every single time we gather to worship the name of Jesus. Uh, so thankful for the sacrifices that... Um, I don't know that I'll ever fully understand. So thank you. You know, um, as I was thinking about Veterans Day this weekend, I was thinking about um, war movies because that's probably as close as I will ever get to combat. And um, I, I was thinking about some of my favorite war movies. Do, do you have a favorite? Um, if you do, really quickly, tell the person sitting next to you what your, what your favorite war movie is. Ready, get set, go. All right. Now I want you to tell me on the count of three what your favorite war movie is. Ready, one, two, three, go. Oh man, I, I heard one, one that was my favorite too and it's Saving Private Ryan. And um, there are, there's so many poignant scenes in this film, but I think the, maybe the most poignant of all and the most weighty of all is that opening scene where um, you see the allied troops going to storm the beaches of Normandy on what we now refer to as D-Day. 160,000 troops would attack a 50-mile stretch of Normandy to attack Nazi Germany. And so many of the young men um, who were stepping off those boats knew, knew that they were going to lose their life. And if, if you haven't been in a situation like that, my guess is you can't really imagine what it feels like on the inside to know that you're close to breathing your last breath. Like what kind of, what kind of anxiety, what kind of, what kind of trouble, what, 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 what goes through your mind and your heart as you step off that boat into the water to storm a fortified shoreline? I started to think about that question and then to think about the question, if I was about to die, would I want to know? Like what, what I, would I want to know? Would I want that information. A few years back, um, author Nikki Ehrlich wrote a book called The Measure. And the plot line of the book is that one day, everybody over the age of 22 wakes up and they have a box in front of their front door and on it is inscribed, the measure of your life lies within. And you have to decide if you're going to open the box because in the box is a string that is a depiction of your length of days. Would you open it? Would you, would you open the box? Would, would, you, would you want to know? Raise your hand if you'd want to know. Would you open the box? Raise your hand if you go, no, 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 I, wouldn't, I would not want to know. I think I'm with you. I, I, I don't think I would open the box. I was, as I was thinking about that this week, um, you know that Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly what was waiting for him as he went into Jerusalem. He, he knew, and what we're going to see today is what was going on in his heart and his mind and soul as he goes into this place that he knows is going to be his death, and then also what that means for you and for me. So if you have your Bible, would you open with me to John chapter 12. As you're turning there, let me catch you up on the context. If you were to just flip back to the very beginning of chapter 12, what you'll see is that this chapter begins with Jesus being honored at a dinner that was thrown by Mary and Martha and Lazarus. 
Lazarus had been raised from the dead and Mary and Martha felt like a fitting way to thank him would be to throw a dinner party. I I think they're right. (laughs) Like if Jesus raises you from the dead, let's party, right? And so they do. And Mary washes his feet with her hair and anoints him with perfume. And then Jesus, the next day, it says, gets on a back of a donkey and rides into Jerusalem. A donkey was a royal animal, but a royal animal that would say that the king is coming in peace and for peace. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus is the, is the unexpected king. So unexpected that, that he, he was rejected then and he's often resisted now. Because we want a king that's going to come and make heads roll. We want a king on a horse that's going to do battle on our behalf. And, and Jesus is still the donkey king. And as he's going into Jerusalem, he tells them exactly why he's going. Verse 23, it says this, The hour has come, Jesus said, for the Son of Man to be glorified. And we found out last week, glorified means crucified. Nobody, I thought somebody for sure was going to go. Let's try that again. Glorified means crucified. Thank you. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? Dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Jesus says, I am going to die. That's why I'm going into Jerusalem. And lest we think that Jesus is stoically and um, emotionless as he takes this ride into Jerusalem, he invites us into his inner thoughts and into his heart. Here's what he says. Now, my soul is what, say it with me, Emmanuel Faith, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? So so Jesus is not a robot. Yes, he's completely divine, but he's also completely human, and he knows exactly what's waiting for him. A bloody Roman cross, torture, is coming his way. And so he prays back to his father, my soul is troubled. Troubled. And I love that we get this insight into Jesus's emotional state. Because um, I spend a lot of time dealing with people who are troubled. You might too. I'm troubled about a test that's coming, troubled about a future that, that looks bleak. I, I've talked to two people this morning who are troubled because they're experiencing homelessness right now. I've met with couples even this week who are in the midst of relational trouble and strife. And and we've prayed over your prayer requests. And so many of them come in and they're based around things that are going on with your health and mental health. And we lift those up before God. I mean, we are surrounded by trouble, aren't we? And if you just want to add on, like zoom out, if you're not experiencing any of that, can we all agree that the world feels a bit out of control? So it's not all that hard to be troubled. And I'm so grateful that Jesus is not a trouble-free God and the church is not, not a trouble-free zone. I'm so grateful we don't have to pretend like we have no trouble when we walk in these doors, but that we can bring all of our trouble and we can bring it before God and we can cast it before his throne. So in the midst of trouble, Jesus asks this question that we all have to answer because we're all gonna be troubled at some point in life. What shall I say? So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to try to power up? What am I going to do? Am I going to try to numb myself and just get through it? What am I going to do? 
Am I going to just resign myself to the way that this is the world is and embrace some sort of like fatalistic determinism where we just go, oh, well, that's just the world that we live in. So who cares? Just put your head down and get through it. What do you do? Like, what do you do? Think to the last time, think back to the last time that you were troubled. How'd you respond? Some of you are like, Ryan, that's not that hard because I'm troubled right now. I'm troubled about what's going on in my marriage. I'm troubled about what's going on in my health. I'm troubled about what's going on with my kids. Some of you, you go, right, I'm, it troubles me every Sunday morning to get dressed, to come to church, to be surrounded by a few hundred other people. My anxiety is off the charts every time I step into this space. And I just want you to know if that's you, we see you. We're so grateful you continue to fight and you come in order to join with the people of God to worship. But where do you turn? What, what, what do you say? I mean, Simon and Garfunkel sang about a bridge over troubled water and it resonated with so many of our hearts and souls because we want to find that bridge, don't we? We want to find that bridge. So Jesus is troubled, but... He's not faithless and he's not fatalistic. Listen to what he says next. And what shall I say? Father, say it with me, church. Save me from this hour? Now, let's just agree. This is not a bad prayer. Like he's asking it rhetorically and we're gonna hear what he actually does pray. But Father, save me. I've prayed that prayer before. Anybody? Like, save me from these people that are attacking me. Like, we can read down the Bible, right? Save me from my own bad decisions. Anybody prayed that? I mean, last week we read about the crowd that raises their Hosanna. Quite literally, they are praying and saying, God, save us. And here we see Jesus going, well, what should I pray? Save me? And I want to be like, yeah, pray that. In fact, Jesus would pray that on some level. Listen to his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. My father, if it's possible, let this cut pass from me. God, Father, save me. Like if there's another way to accomplish redemption other than the cross, I want that. And then he follows it with this word that's a word of subversive defiance. A word of greater perspective, a word that's so hard to pray with genuine honesty. He prays, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Whew. That's not an easy prayer, is it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus claims that there's something bigger. There's something greater than being saved from his troubled soul. Here's what it is. Here's, here's what he prays. He says, but for this what? purpose, I have come to this hour, Father, glorify your name. The two things that Jesus deems greater than his salvation from his troubles are one, the Father's purpose in his life. So, so are you bold enough to pray the same thing? God, God, I want your purpose more than I want my pain-free existence. God, I want your purpose for why you created me and why I'm on this earth more than I want comfort in this life. Can you pray that? Second, second, 
Jesus prays, no, Father, glorify, make beautiful, make majestic, make powerful your name. So more than he wants to evade trouble, more than he wants to escape trouble, he wants his father to have a light shown on him where everybody goes, he's amazing. Can you pray that? Can, can, can you pray, God, I want your purpose more than I want my painlessness, and God, I want your glory more than I want to avoid this trouble? See, I think what Jesus is showing us is that where you turn when you're troubled reveals what you ultimately trust. Where you turn when you're troubled reveals what you ultimately trust. So think back to that last time you were troubled. What does it reveal about you? What does it reveal about where your foundation and core of your trust is? Is it, is it in yourself? Do you muscle up and go, I'm going to make it? Is it in a coping mechanism? Like, I've just got to get through this, so I'll turn to the bottle, or I'll turn to this bottle of pills, or what, what, I've just got to make it through, so I've got to do anything I can. Or is there just a resigned fatalism? Oh, well, one more trouble. Where do you turn? Because trouble unveils what's our truest trust. And I choose the word unveils intentionally because I'm convinced that trouble doesn't create anything in your life. It just reveals what's already there. And we can often go through the motions of faith. We can recite the verbiage and rhetoric of faith and the veneer of faith. But what lies underneath is ultimately a distrust that when troubles come reveal, we're going to turn to ourselves rather than we're going to turn to God. See, trouble actually reveals the core trust of your life. And as we move through this passage today, I'm going to do my best to teach us how Jesus responded when his soul was troubled and what he did in response to that, and maybe even why his soul was troubled. But I want to bring right alongside of that the way that his response actually frees as, and empowers a new response from us. So let's keep reading. Verse 28 says this. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And I almost picture God the Father doing one of these numbers, right? I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Thank you very much. The crowd stood there and heard it said and it thundered. Others said, an angel spoken to him. And Jesus answered, I love this. That voice was for your sake, not mine. <clears throat> Jesus is like, I'm glad you heard that because I hear that voice all the time. That was for you, not for me. You almost picture Jesus praying silently and the Father answering audibly and Jesus going, well, that was a gift for you. Thank you very much. But I love this. Don't miss this. That Jesus' first response when his soul is troubled is to do what? Pray. It's to pray. It's to go to his good father and cast his burdens before his father. And I started to think about that. If there was any person who's walked the face of the earth, whose shoulders were broad enough to handle the trouble that was going to come in life, it must have been Jesus, but he did not deem his shoulders that wide or that strong. He prayed back his burdens to his father, and maybe that means that we need to also. 
Maybe you're not strong enough to carry your trouble on your own. Maybe Jesus didn't design you to be strong enough to carry your trouble on your own. See, your prayer life is the greatest barometer of your actual trust in Jesus. Your greatest barometer of your trust in Jesus. And now Jesus starts to unpack the purpose that he came for. And here's what he says. He says, now is the, what, say it with me, church. The judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now, judgment is a word that shows up a number of times in John's gospel. We've been introduced to it already if you've been a part of this series. And most of the time, judgment is something that's going to happen to us. To us. Like, we will be judged. You will be judged. One day you will stand before the throne of God and you will give an account as to how you lived your life and you will either pay for your own sins or they will be paid for by the precious blood of Jesus if by faith you are in him. But make no mistake about it, all of us will be judged one day. Judgment is coming for us. But in this passage, in this passage, judgment is done on behalf of us. You see what's going on? The judgment of this world is that, in this case, the devil or the ruler of this world will be, passed, will be passed out, will be cast out. See, the ruler of this world is a moniker for the devil. Paul will call him the prince and power of the air. Jesus calls him in Matthew chapter 12, the ruler of the demons. It's a way of talking about Satan himself. And here in this passage, Jesus unveils judgment as a casting out of the one who wants to war against your soul and a redemption and restoring of the way that God designed the world to work. I mean, we might say it like this. On the cross, Jesus quite literally judges the hell out of the world. He kicks Satan out. Because of what Jesus faced on the cross and, and, and his troubled soul, trusting his father, winning victory on the cross, you too can face trouble knowing that he has been victorious because Jesus' power is greater than evil. His power is greater than evil. And, and this begins to highlight a paradox that we live in as Jesus followers today. Um, so there's three things that I want you to know about the devil. Uh, number one, the devil is real. Okay. Now, if we were followers of Jesus in Africa, we probably wouldn't need to start there. That would just be assumed and recognized. But we live in the West, and oftentimes we can convince ourselves of a materialistic worldview that does away with all sorts of spiritual power. Um, but we're starting with the devil is real today. Would you turn to the person next to you and say to them, the devil's real? The devil's real. Number two, number two, the devil is a defeated enemy the devil is a defeated enemy. Listen to the way that John would later write it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared. So why did Jesus come? Was to destroy the works of the devil. Do you know that that's one of the reasons Jesus came? Now let me ask you, was he effective in doing that? Yes or no? Not a trick question. Yes, he was effective. He was effective. He was so effective that the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Colossae and he would say that he, Jesus, disarmed the rulers, even the ruler of the rulers. 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That on the cross, Jesus disarms the devil, he shames the devil, and he triumphs over him and declares victory. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Now the devil is a defeated enemy, but he's not an eliminated enemy. And here's the paradox. His defeat does not mean his absence. That's why Peter, after the cross and resurrection of Jesus, will write to the churches and he will say, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, the disarmed, shamed, and triumphed over devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, maybe limps around, I'm not sure, seeking someone to devour. What do we do with that? How do we make sense of that? Is he disarmed, defeated, triumphed over, ashamed? Or is he a roaring lion? Like, which one is it? And the answer is yes. Yes. The the devil is defeated, but he's still powerful, and he often still wreaks havoc on people's lives today. Now, even though the devil is still powerful... He has no authority. He has no authority. So I think Pastor John Tyson captured this so well when he said this. He was trying to make the distinction between power and authority. And it's an important distinction to know. Power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to use that power. The devil still has power. He still has the ability to do things. He just doesn't have a right, if you're a follower of Jesus, to do whatever he wants in your life. There's a difference between power and authority. Uh, allow, me to, allow me to paint a picture for you, because I think this illustration might help. Um, if you've been around here for the last few years, you know that um, about a year and a half ago, we started to build a shade, I mean solar structure, out in uh, parking lot D. Right? We put solar panels up on that, and we did all this work in order to get solar going in our church. And then we ran into supply chain issues with things like a transformer and a number of other things. And like most of the projects that you've done in your house, this project took a little bit longer than we expected. Okay? But that solar structure was powerful. Those solar panels were working. In fact, if you would have gone over and plugged in your Tesla to one of those charging stations, it would have worked because the power was being received from the sun into the solar panels. It just wasn't hooked up to the main line in our church in order to power our whole church. Those solar panels had power. They didn't have authority. They didn't have the authority to power our buildings. Now, praise be to God, this afternoon, Mike Cochran and Billy Cochran and his team and Ted Verdugo and Don Chilsom and so many guys who have worked tirelessly for the last three weeks, we are gonna give that power the authority to run this church. Praise be to God. (laughs) Mike's back there, we're praying for you, brother. We're praying for you. But I want you to know, like, that, that's not just true of what's going on with electric, electric in our church. It's also true of what's spiritually real in your life. The devil has power, but he only has authority that you give him. He only has authority that you give him. 
So you could drive over to that structure and you could plug yourself in. And if you open yourself up to anger and to bitterness and to the demonic, you will give the devil power, but he only has, he will give him authority, but he only has that authority that you give him. And so that's why the apostle Peter will write, so resist him. Like that roaring lion, you can resist by the power of the spirit that lives within you. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings, or maybe even we could say trouble, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Did you know that the devil loves to prey on your troubles, loves to prey on suffering, loves to take those and tell you this lie, Jesus doesn't love you, he's deserted you, he must not be for you, he's got no power, he's got no authority, just loves to seed that lie into your life. So the scriptures will tell you over and over again, remember, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he is with you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You can pray with conviction, you can pray with power, knowing that Jesus has judged the enemy, that he has cast him out, that he only has the power that you give him. And through prayer, you can take back that power and you can invite Jesus to rule and reign in your life and through your life. And I think when we're troubled, we need to remember that Jesus has all authority and power. You guys, that's the reason that we do classes like spiritual authority cohorts and freedom in Christ classes, because we want to train you to walk in the authority that you have as followers of Jesus. You don't need to be defeated by an already defeated enemy. Here's the second thing Jesus says. He says, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, a picture of his cross lifted up, I will draw, say it with me, all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This all people is an echo back to even the Greeks and Gentiles are coming after him. What are we going to do with this? Jesus goes, that's why I'm going to the cross. I've, I've come for all. But here's what I want you to notice. Here's what I want you to notice. That judgment is the casting out of the evil one and it's the drawing in of people who by faith would say, he's my God. That Jesus casts out evil and he draws in people. And if he had only kicked the devil out, the mission would have been horribly incomplete. It would have been like Batman defeating Joker, but allowing Gotham City to remain in ruin. No, Jesus defeats the enemy, and then he restores our humanity. And what I want you to see is that Jesus walks straight into trouble so that you and me could be drawn straight into his presence. He walks straight into trouble so that we could be drawn into his presence. He says, I'm going to draw all people. And friends, that means you. That means you. When you're walking through trouble, remind yourself not only that Jesus is more powerful, but remind yourself that Jesus' sacrifice overcomes sin. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm, I'm walking through trouble so many times, the, the narrative that dances around in my head is, I've, I've, I've screwed up too much. Like I've, 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 I've gone too far. Or I'm, I'm walking through this because God is displeased with me and he's 
vindictive and punishing me and and our hearts can start to get turned. So in the midst of trouble, Jesus reminds us that one of the things you need to know when you're troubled is that the Father is reeling you into his heart. He wants you to see his goodness. He wants you to see his grace. And, and you got to know this. you got to know this. you got to know this. He does not draw you in because you're awesome or you're amazing or because of all of the things that you've done on his divine checklist. He draws you in because he's gracious and he's good and his sacrifice will always be sufficient for even your most grievous of sin. And he draws you in and reminds you his sacrifice is greater than your sin. And whether you try to numb your way through trouble or work your way through trouble or fatalistically just put your head down and sulk your way through trouble, any way you try to make it through without trusting God, you are missing the heart of your father in the midst of your struggle. And Jesus says, you don't need to miss it because I'm drawing you in. I'm drawing you in, not by your good works, but my, by my gracious love. And will you, will you let him draw you in today? Now, what Jesus is gonna do next is he's gonna move to the necessity of response to the way that he goes to the cross on our behalf. Here's what he says. He says, so the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Like one, of the, one time I want to do a series in, throughout John's gospel where people accidentally ask the right question, right? Who is the son of man? And like, we thought you were going to live forever. So you're, you're telling us you're going to die and what they didn't understand was that Jesus would die and that he would be what? Raised from the dead. Verse 35 says this. So Jesus says to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of of light. Now, throughout John's gospel, we've seen declarations about light over and over from the very beginning. In him was light, and this light was the light of all mankind. John chapter 8, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. But here we see Jesus not just declaring that he's the light, but imploring people, when you see that light, respond. Respond. While you have it just a little longer while you have the light, while you have the light. There's this like carpe diem-esque emphasis that Jesus is throwing down here saying, you're not always gonna have the chance to respond to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But when you see his revelation, there's a response that's demanded. And I think one of the hardest parts about having a troubled soul is that we often don't feel like we have the strength or maybe even the desire to respond to God's revelation or his light, to use Jesus's language. But his light demands a response from us. You know, you just can't just, you can't just appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus. You must respond to it. You can't just know it or believe it. You must respond to it. In fact, the author of Hebrews would say this, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, like right now, if 
you hear his voice. Don't harden your heart. And I just want to plead with you. If you hear his voice, if you sense his invitation today, if there's something that you're holding on to that he's inviting you to let go of, if there's something that you need to repent of, if there's a lie that's just burrowed its way into your head and your heart and your soul that you're worthless or you'll never get out of this darkness, if there's something that you're holding on to that Jesus is inviting you to let go of, today's the day. Hey, don't, don't harden your heart. Respond when you see the light. And Jesus is going to go on, and in the last portion of this chapter, what he's going to do is he's going to highlight three things that oftentimes prevent us from responding to the light. So let's keep reading. Verse 37. Though he has done so many signs before them, they still do not believe him. So that the word of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's a quote from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. And Isaiah is basically going, like, God, it doesn't seem like people are responding. Keep reading, verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. And the context of the quote is really important. Because in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's up in the throne room of God. And Isaiah, and God says, well, who should we send? And Isaiah says, what? Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. The next verse, God says to Isaiah, I'm going to send you, but you just need to know it's going to be hard. Because people aren't going to respond and you're not going to have the revival initially that you're looking for. So you just need to be prepared for the resistance. Now, there's a lot of debate about what it means that their hearts have been hardened. Like, who does this hardening? Is it God who's hardening? Is it the enemy who's hardening? Is it people themselves who are hardening their own hearts? Is it, is it the pain of life that's, that's creating a hardness of heart? I think all of those are really good questions, but let's keep reading. It says this, Isaiah said, three, or Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory, his glory, and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. So whether it's God hardening their hearts and, and part of his sovereign activity, or whether it's people hardening their own hearts and part of the freedom that they have as human beings, or whether it's just the world that's hardening them because the world is a painful place, what we see in one verse is they could not believe. And then in a few verses later, it says, many believed. So which is it? Which is it? I think Jesus is quoting these passages from Isaiah in order to make the point that we need to be active in combating the hardness of heart that can come at each of us so easily. That by the power of God, by the spirit of God, we need to humbly come before him and say, God, don't let my heart get hard. Don't let me get resistant to the overtures of your love. Don't let my ears be deafened to your voice. And the best way to combat a hardness of heart is to respond when you hear him speaking. 
And the longer you say, mm, tomorrow or next time, or God, is that really you? The longer you resist, the harder it becomes to hear. In fact, Isaiah, or sorry, um, the author of Hebrews in that same passage will go on to tell us what often hardens our heart. He says this, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by what? By the deceitfulness of sin. So part of keeping our hearts soft towards God, our ears open, our eyes open, is by actively living in his way with his heart, combating the sin that so would love to just entangle and lead us toward destruction. And I think you guys, here's the truth. When you're troubled and when you're anxious, when you're worried, that's when the enemy has greater ability to get into your life and take you down. And you need to know that. We often think like this coping mechanism is my only hope. Or this decision was fatalistic. Or this relationship is definitely over. And we start to have this narrative where we're never going to get out of the hole that we are in. And what it does is it hardens our heart to the voice of a God who says, I'm never done. I'm nothing is impossible for him. So we're troubled but we're trusting, longing to hear his voice. Jesus goes on and he tells us another reason that they weren't willing to respond. It says, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess. So they would not be put out of the synagogue for what? Fear. That's often a reason that we reject the overtures of the love of God or reject actually walking in the calling that he has for us. And so in light of that, I think if we're gonna respond to God's revelation, we need to reject narratives of fear. So let me ask you, if you're really, really honest today, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Like the, the chaotic state of our world? You're afraid of like a date that's coming where you're gonna retire or a date that's coming where your kids are gonna move out or a date that's coming. What, what, are, you, what are you really afraid of? Really? And is there potential that that fear is making it so that you can't hear the voice of God? If so, repent. Today, today, don't let your heart be hard. Repent, turn to him. Reject that narrative. And Jesus would then highlight one of the things that I think we often are all afraid of. He says, for they love the what? Glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. Here's what they really wanted. Here's what those Pharisees really wanted. They wanted the applause of others. Listen, if they would have been living in our world today, they want, would have wanted the likes on Instagram or what was formerly known as Twitter. You know, you know they, they would have wanted... They would have wanted that. They, want, they, would have, they want the validation from the boss. They, they, they would live to people, please. There's this comparison or envy that's just built into the way that they go about their work. They put a mask on because they're afraid to really be seen. They want the praise of people rather than the praise of God. And when you live for the praise of people, it's impossible for your life to actually glorify your father who's in heaven. You can choose one or the other, but you don't get both. So I think Jesus would challenge us to resist the need, the desire, 
for the praise of people or to put it in a positive light. You guys, live for the glory of one. Live for the glory of one. And that starts with when you hear his voice, respond. So when it comes to responding to God's revelation in our life, I mean, hardness of heart, fear, the praise of people, those seem to be the things that Jesus draws out that would prevent us, maybe keep us in our trouble rather than allowing us to respond and trust. And Jesus has more for you than he does, than, than that. So in verses 44 through 50, Jesus will summarize in so many ways the first 12 chapters of John's gospel. He's going to hit themes that have been prevalent all throughout these first 12 chapters. You can read it this week. I'd encourage you to do so. But then he ends by saying this. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. Jesus goes, listen, I'm not coming on my own. I'm coming on behalf of our Father. And I know that his commandment is what? Is, say it with me, church. Is what? Eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Eternal life. Huge theme all throughout the Gospel of John. It's been mentioned 14 times already in the first 12 chapters. But what I want you to get is that when Jesus is going into Jerusalem, when his soul is troubled because he knows that he's going to die, what's on his heart? Eternal life. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. When his heart is troubled, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about the eternal life that he's gonna purchase through his perfect sacrifice on your behalf, that he's gonna call you home to the heart of the Father, that he's gonna redeem every single one of your mistakes. He's gonna pay for every single one of your sin. When he is troubled, what's on his mind is the eternal life that he is purchasing for for you, for you. And so if that's what's on his mind as he walks into trouble, maybe eternal life could be on our minds as we walk into trouble also. Maybe we don't have to get buried in our trouble. Maybe we can be troubled, but trusting. And maybe, just maybe, times of trouble are used by God, maybe even designed by God in order to stir our desire for eternal life. As C.S. Lewis would write, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And maybe when our soul is troubled, and maybe when we're anxious, or maybe when we're worried about all those things that are going on in life that are out of our control, maybe it's an invitation to just hit pause for a moment to reaffirm, I tr God, I, I really do trust you. I trust that you've conquered evil. I trust that you're drawing me in even now because you love me and you're for me and you're more powerful than my sin. And as I hear you speaking, I wanna respond to you, believing that you have paid it all. So maybe time of trouble for you is also an invitation 
to long for and to believe that he has purchased eternal life. See, most of us will never storm the beaches of Normandy. But man, we're gonna, we go to war every day. Every day. To walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. To battle against a wearied, troubled soul. But it's in those moments that we get to reaffirm where our trust actually is. So let's do that together today. Would you bow your head and let's just pause. Some of you are here to respond to Jesus for the very first time. To say back to him, if trouble reveals where my trust is, what my troubles have revealed is that I trust myself or I trust my coping mechanism or I trust that there's no way out. But maybe today you just pray for the first time, Jesus, I I trust you. I turn from all those other ways. I repent of my sin and I trust you. I believe that you're good. I believe that you're God. I believe that you have the words of eternal life, that there's nowhere else I can go. So when I'm troubled like I am right now, I trust you. He would say you're a child of the light. Lord, there's a lot of us in this space, Lord, you know, who have walked with you for years and years and maybe even decades, but we get caught up in the trouble of this world so easily and the pain and sorrow of the things that have been done to us and regret of the things we've done to others. And um, trouble has has a way of crushing us, Lord. So today we just wanna turn back to you and trust. We wanna bring everything that troubles us. We don't wanna leave it outside of these doors. We're grateful that the church is a place where we can bring our troubles and our sorrows and bring them before you. But we can remember that you have a greater purpose and that you weave things together for your glory. So we say back to you, yes, we will. We'll, we'll praise you and we'll trust you. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.